Welcome to episode 35 of the Listening Brain Podcast. Welcome to the Listening Brain. I'm your host, Todd Houston. In this podcast, we explore childhood hearing loss through the lives of the parents and families who are on this journey and the professionals who serve them. Hi, are you creative? Do you want to give a webinar or teach a course? Maybe you're a writer. Do you want to create a blog? Maybe you have an idea for a podcast. Whatever your passion is, we at 3C Digital Media Network want you to be a content creator so we can bring your ideas to life. So, to get started, visit our website at 3cdigitalmedianetwork.com and sign up to be a content creator. We look forward to seeing your passions come to life on our platform. Today I have the pleasure of speaking with Michelle Hu. Michelle has been a pediatric audiologist for over 10 years working with diagnostics, hearing amplification options, cochlear implant evaluations, hearing aid programming, and oral rehabilitation. What makes Michelle distinctive is that she grew up hard of hearing herself. She was fit with hearing aids at the age of three years and now utilizes bilateral cochlear implants. Her unique and personal experiences lend her an innate ability to relate and be a role model for others who are deaf and hard of hearing. She also serves as a source of strength and hope for parents of children who are deaf and hard of hearing. As a military spouse and a mother of three, Michelle strives to balance family life, clinical practice, and entrepreneurship. During her maternity leave with her second child, she found herself missing the relationships she created while in the clinic with patients. Thus, Mama Who Hears was created as a space to connect back to her passion and share both personal and professional experiences with hearing loss and within the field of audiology. When Mama Who Hears was created, thousands of people within the deaf and hard of hearing community, especially parents of deaf and hard of hearing children, reached out to her for help, guidance, and to share their stories. Michelle knew she had found her purpose and made it her mission to do something more to support those who needed her and related to her the most. She created an online program titled, My Child Has Hearing Loss, Now What?, to support anxious and doubtful parents on their deaf and hard of hearing journey and to provide hearing healthcare professionals valuable and functional knowledge to improve and maximize the outcomes for their patients and clients. It is my pleasure to welcome Dr. Michelle Hu to the podcast. So, Michelle, welcome to the podcast. Uh, For those who don't know you, can you give them a little bit more about your background and your history? My name is Michelle. I've been a pediatric audiologist for over 12 years now, um, and I grew up hard of hearing. I was diagnosed around three to four years old 
fit with hearing aids pretty soon after that. Um, decided to become an audiologist. And I got my first cochlear implant during grad school. My second one, when I moved out to San Diego to be a pediatric audiologist out here. And now I am up to, I'm, I'm still in clinic, but I'm also doing other things um, in the online world and trying to help support and kind of propel pediatric audiology to stay up at that high standard um, and really support parents and families. Sure, sure. So what do you what do you think um, as we get into this and unpack all the things that you're doing, what do you think is going on with pediatric audiology? Do you think uh, there needs to be more of an emphasis in that in our training programs or in um, or just in general, what do you think? I think that with the advancements in technology, advancements in evidence-based practice, that we are recognizing and um, identifying children, babies, younger and younger, especially since now we have the universal newborn hearing screening available, um, which wasn't available when I was born in in the early 1980s. Um, Growing up with a wonderful pediatric audiologist and my family having a great support system I didn't know that that isn't necessarily the norm. Mm -hmm. And um, what I'm realizing when now that I'm a pediatric audiologist is families don't always have such good support um, resources. Everything is out there, but it's almost overwhelming. It's Mm -hmm. almost like everything is thrown at them, but they don't know which way to go. Here in San Diego, Spanish is a very, very um, prominent language here. Right. So I feel like a lot of the underrepresented, un- underrepresented and um, maybe those families aren't getting resources that they need that are fit to them. It's not, mm-hmm. um, it's not easy to customize everything to them as we see patients. It's very, you know, it needs to be a very individualized process. So what I created in my program was a lot of those resources and everything out there. However, with a more personal touch of this is Mm -hmm. what I um, would have loved. My mother could have benefited from and these are the tools. I'm not going to tell you how to do it. You know your family and you know your child best, but here are the tools. Say, if you want to make spaghetti in the kitchen, here are the tools. Your your batch of spaghetti is going to end up exactly (laughs) the way that you want it to do, your flavor. Um, So that's my emphasis that, you know, each family's journey is very uniquely their own I, I don't know the ins and outs of your family dynamic. I don't know. I might not know your language. I might not know your culture, wherever you may be um, from, if you're a first generation born, you know, child here, which is what I was. Um, right. So I, I'm here to just give you this hug, this basket full of different resources. And I'm supporting you in your journey, whichever way that you want it. You want that outcome to come to happen. Sure. And that's such an, uh, a great way to approach the, the problem, and, and, and I certainly see it um, with the work I'm doing uh, at Akron Children's Hospital, is, is certainly reaching families that speak a different language, uh, families that are lower socioeconomic, um, 
and have limited resources, and, and especially those who live in more rural areas, getting access to consistent services. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I'm, I applaud what you're doing. It's definitely needed. Thank you. Thank you so much. And so I, you know, something like that, I have to talk to my, my, my colleagues at uh, Akron Children's and see if we can't get a, our own parent course together and figure out how to make that work. Because mm-hmm. we certainly are doing more telepractice now and, uh, and some teleaudiology mm-hmm. uh, and some other things that we're trying to be a little innovative with. But uh, yeah. that's something that we, we definitely need to do is, is mm-hmm. think about the whole parent process, the parent journey. Yeah, absolutely. My target audience initially was parents of deaf and hard of hearing children. Um, but I, what I've realized is some schools are reaching out to me. Can How can we incorporate your program into our cu- curriculum, pediatric mm-hmm. or not? So um, even clinics that do not see pediatrics are interested in this program as a resource because they can give it to families and feel like they're providing them something pediatric related that is going to help support that family in a very um uh, with a very strong foundation so right. if university of akron is interested i definitely have bulk pricing for that and um some of them are making it like a series where they mm-hmm. can watch one of the modules and they can discuss it as a class or different parts mm-hmm. and pieces to train their students who are going to become audiologists maybe pediatric audiologists to have those tools and that insight into somebody who's grown up with it is now practicing it. I'm on, I'm mm-hmm. that bridge, so to speak. I used to be, you know, confused. Like, am I a patient or am I an audiologist? <laughs> Which hat right. am I wearing today? Well, in this process of making this program, I bridged those together, and it was mm-hmm. a transformative journey for me too. Um, but yeah, going and getting into clinics, getting into schools. Um, speaking with, you know, elementary or high school, um, those grades, the school districts themselves. And um, I don't know, my, my goals were, were helping the parents feel supported, having mm-hmm. the children feel like they can, they can literally achieve anything they want to, and then raising right. the standards of pediatric audiology out there. So we start right. at roots in, in, in the graduate school systems. Of course. And, and, and we've got to, uh, get these get these graduate programs uh, up to speed uh, those that aren't and haven't embraced some of the newer things that are going on and so you mentioned this this conflict maybe maybe conflict is a too too strong of a word in terms of you being the professional versus the patient yeah and, kind of a theme of my life <laughs> <laughs> so so talk about that how um i think you know we all yeah, maybe experience that to some degree. I mean, I, I've had health issues. I've had to go in and then become a patient, but not in what I do. You know, it's not like I struggle talking, obviously, you know, I was as a speech language pathologist and I haven't lost too much hearing yet. Although my wife would say I have selective hearing. Uh, so it's not really I haven't experienced anything in the area that I, but you, you are an audiologist and you also have a hearing loss. Mm-hmm. So how, how has that transformation or that, or walking that line gone for you? I think it didn't just start with audiology and being a patient. Um, mm-hmm. 
I firmly believe it started with being an American born Chinese Mm -hmm. in a very small town in Ohio. (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. I struggled, you know, am I American? Am I Chinese? I, we celebrate this at home, but we celebrate this at school. And maybe my parents were excited about certain things and not about others, but they, you know, sure. that internal kind of back and forth has been mm-hmm. with me for a long time. Um, people have told me, wow, Michelle, you you have such an old soul. Like, do you believe in past lives? I don't know. Like, what do you mean? I'm only, you know, eight years old or something. Um, but same thing happened right. when I decided to attend graduate school to mm-hmm. be an audiologist. Um, it was senior year of college. I had a sudden drop in hearing and I'm sitting in Cleveland Clinic lobby waiting for a hearing test. And my mom looks over. She says, you might make a good audiologist. You understand what some of your patients might go through. And in that moment, I was like, oh, my gosh, yes, I would. But that doesn't mm-hmm. mean the school is going to be easy. You know, right. I don't have do I have any background in speech language pathology, like ear hearing health, any of that? I didn't. Um, I was pre-med, so I did have some anatomy and physiology. But get me into an acoustics class or phonetics class. I was like, this is my worst nightmare. <laughs> you know, I can't hear right. half of these things. Um, but as I started practicing, and especially the last couple of years, as I started sharing my story, it was a transformation because when I first started practicing, I would keep patients at an arm's length. They would want to connect outside of clinic, um, outside of the hospital. And I was afraid of the HIPAA police. Oh no, what's going to happen? <laughs> you know, right. the young, as a young audiologist, um, I said no. And what I realized is that wasn't fair to me because that was a community that I needed to be a part of, that I desperately needed to connect to. And through this journey, I finally bridged the two by defining my own boundaries, figuring out where and who I could connect with, who could also agree to those types of boundaries. You know what? I'm Michelle first. I Mm -hmm. happen to be an audiologist. This is that when I defined that versus I'm an audiologist and I'm Michelle and we're like, you know, my, my home and personal life was second when I shifted and changed that it was so much more clear, so much more freeing Mm -hmm. and um, brought me so many more connections, honestly, with people around the world now with social media, podcasts, articles, you can connect and wow, sky's the limit there. Well, I'm glad you brought that up because you do have a a very large uh, social media following with uh, Mama Who Hears, uh, Mm -hmm. Instagram, and uh, other, you're on other channels as well, other platforms. And uh, and so you're, you're, how, how did all that come about? (laughs) <laughs> I missed my patients while I was on maternity leave. I met my husband a little bit older, who we were both 34, 35, and we knew we wanted children. Um, bam, 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 three kids later. <laughs> uh, 
quickly. You wanted children uh, quickly. Very quickly. Very quickly <laughs> and during the pandemic. So I was oh. set to go back to clinic March of 2020. Pandemic began. My husband was away on what was supposed to be a five-day trip, turned into five weeks and mm. also an unexpected deployment. So I said, you know what? I do have childcare issues. <laughs> Let me stay home. But I still wanted to help. I still needed that outlet of, you know, I'm not just a mom right now. I'm not just Mm -hmm. doing this at home. I, the only thing that was stopping me was a name for a handle. I talked to my friends. They said, Michelle, you have to do this. And I, I thought that I would run out of things to talk about. Mm -hmm. Um, no way. (laughs) There's no no such problem. Yeah. I, um, it opened my world to the deaf and hard of hearing community, the entire spectrum. And um, I created it, started posting, started, um, you know, sharing life hacks that have worked for me mm-hmm. and realized, wow, if anybody else is out there in similar shoes or about to start the journey, I want to give them all of this information so that they could they can pick and choose what works for them and then, you know, bounce off of that foundation even higher, whichever they want to go, way they want to go. Um, mm-hmm. And that's. I am today. <laughs> right, right. And, you know, looking at your Instagram posts and everything, it is it is a wide variety of posts and answering questions and sharing tips and strategies. It's really a, a, an incredible resource for people to just kind of dig deep and find all kinds of uh, great information. Yeah, it's really the parents that are so thankful, so grateful because they see their child, um, especially if they're a first-time parent, they don't know what, you know, potty training is going to look like. They don't know what speech development is going to look like at that young age compared to a normal hearing or a normal development, typically developing child. They might only focus on the negatives or what's not there. Um, right. Very often I'm talking to these moms who are saying, you know, is this a normal reaction? Is is it because of their hearing aids? Is it because of their cochlear implant? And mm-hmm. I am able to help them sit back and think about, hey, listen, around probably nine, 10, 10 months old, they get really good with hand-eye coordination. Mm-hmm. So maybe it's not the hearing aid that's bothering them or the ear mold. Let's rule that out. Absolutely work with their audiologist, but also know that, you know what? Your child is curious. They're doing right. their job. They're, you know, working on these developmental skills that could be mm-hmm. just that. And hearing aids right there is handy. Right. You know, it's soft, it's chewy. It's squeal. Or you've decorated it with pink and purple stickers. Of course, mm-hmm. they're going to want to look at it and pick at it and see what happens when they throw it out the window. All right. <laughs> very, very true. Very, very <laughs> true. Well, that's, you know, that's a really good point. You know, with, with young ones about that age, they're going to do all those things. Yeah, I think that is um, still is probably the big one of the biggest issues uh, with parents is just how do we keep the technology on the child's mm-hmm. head and uh, and and you know after almost 30 years in the field I, I still you know I'm looking for different hacks <laughs> and different tips and strategies to, to be able to share with parents and and, do, and so it's it and like you say each parent each family's different so how they approach it is going to be a little different. 
Mm-hmm. And each kid is going to respond in different ways. One of my daughters is very much a rule follower, people pleaser. Mm-hmm. The other one, she could not care less about <laughs> what I think or what I'd like for her to do. So that right. second one has a lot of reverse psychology on mm-hmm. her. But I remember my parents were, they treated my hearing aids like a jacket or shoes. You don't leave the house with without shoes or a jacket on. So you don't leave the house with without hearing aids on. And I don't remember it ever being an option to not wear them, not saying that they forced me, right? but they made it fun. They made it, you know, wow. Did you hear that sound? Mm -hmm. Oh, your ears are helping you. Your hearing devices are helping you. But if you talk to a mom with a two, maybe three-year-old, how do I keep this diaper on my son? He keeps taking it off. Same Mm -hmm. thing, just different Mm -hmm. item. Mm-hmm. So it is the same thing. <laughs> um, you can, with a diaper, you can put uh, duct tape on them and they'll stay on. <laughs> you can't do the duct tape with the hearing aids yet. So uh, I tried it. It, it doesn't work. No, <laughs> no, just kidding. Um, yeah, I had a, a parent a while back. I forget who said this, but, you know, basically she was a parent. I think it might have been Judy Simser who uh, was talking about uh, being a parent of her son and, and that she said, you know, I tell parents all the time, I, you teach them not to touch the stove because if they touch the stove, they're going to, it's going to hurt. <laughs> they're going to hurt themselves. Mm-hmm. And, and it's the same thing. And, and her, I think it was Judy who would say, you know, I, I, for those really young children, I'm the one who puts the hearing aids on and off. You don't touch them, you know, mm-hmm. and, and that's, that was her example of how she handled it. And then, of course, other parents may handle it a little bit differently. Mm-hmm. But it's right. It's sort of the building the expectation, like putting on your coat when you go outside or when you get up in the morning, you have to put your clothes on or whatever the case may be. And you mm-hmm. put your hearing aids on. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and and in a sense, you don't make a big deal about in, in some sense, in some situations, you may not make a big deal. Other times you may make a big deal. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you just it's just a part of the expectations that you have for them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's almost like it's what's so as a child doesn't right. know that your story or maybe a mom's story is that poor, poor child, they have to wear hearing aids because they can't do this. Well, mm-hmm. what about this? You get to pick what color. I'm okay if right. you want to pick colors. And guess what? You can you can pick a new color in next year for ear molds if you mm-hmm. want to. Or let's take a look at stickers. These are the things that you can choose from, but this 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 other part is not a choice. We have to right. wear these, or this is what we're choosing to wear for you. And these are the different choices that you can make about that subject. Right. Same that kind of dinner. Yeah, that, that kind of gets into sort of um the love and logic. Mm-hmm. Uh, philosophy uh, of you're building up, you're, you're reinforcing positive behavior. And mm-hmm. here are the things you can have choices over, but over here, this is my choice and this is what you have to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I I do like that sort of approach to behavior management and how they, they do that. But it's all about parenting and creating that environment as parents. I think, I definitely think working in pediatrics helped me with parenting and I mean it's a circus at my house and I will tell you <laughs> around eight right. nine ten months old is when each one of my babies would start pulling and yanking at my cochlear implant processors mm-hmm. um but now my four-year-old I've taught her how to put it on my ear 
I've taught her how to change oh, the battery. Nice. Absolutely. And she loves doing it. Um, she's not the most gentle with the coil, but <laughs> right. I'd rather have her learn and understand mm-hmm. about it because she's explaining now to my two-year-old, mommy can't hear when this is off. You see it over there? Don't, don't mm-hmm. touch it. Don't touch it. But let's go get mommy if you want to tell her something. Right. Um, and it's, it's really fun to see these little, they're little scientists. Sure. Honestly, sometimes sure. to my ugh, driving me crazy, but you know, <laughs> got it. Sure. their job is to explore their job mm-hmm. is to push my boundaries. If I'm not mm-hmm. wanting to tear my hair out at, you know, one day or, mm-hmm. or another, then, you know, are they, are they typically, typically developing? Mm-hmm. Right. Right. Yeah, my my kids are grown now, but my my biggest uh, thing that they would uh, kind of uh, get upset with me about is when they would visit me at work anytime because I would have my toys I use in therapy and they would find all of their toys (laughs) (laughs) that they thought they had lost or somewhere uh, suddenly had disappeared, you know, and they're like going through all my stuff saying, hey, wait a minute. That's this was mine. mine. This is mine. This is mine. This is mine. <laughs> so yeah. Telling me he's like, why do why do all these toys? Why do you only buy like educational toys? I'm like, you know, this piece of paper, this could be a toy. What are you talking about? <laughs> so <laughs> there may be other uses down the road that mm-hmm. I might I might. So yeah, I got into the habit of just buying toys that I would like after they finished. <laughs> <laughs> it's a, that's efficient. So uh, until they caught me, they didn't know the difference. Uh, and then they were a little more suspicious uh, after that when toys got put away and disappeared. They would come to me first and say, did you take my toy? <laughs> did you take my game or whatever? And Did you did you do therapy with their children as they had children? or are you? A, they, are you a they have not had children yet. So no. um, my daughter got married this past last year, last summer. Um, and, uh, so I expect probably the next two to three years, uh, we might be crossing that bridge where we're going into being grandparents and all of that. So then all of we'll your daughter's toys could go back. <laughs> Come, could <laughs> if I, yeah, I still have, you know, clinics, so I, I may have to bring some home. <laughs> <laughs> well, <clears throat> Michelle, with the, um, the mama who hears and you, you talked with, with all of that, where do you want to go with this in the future? You, you mentioned being a resource. Do you want to expand it and do some other things with mama who hears? If this program could get into the hands of families and parents living in the rural areas, um, it's, it's our, it's also international. It's in New Zealand, Australia, uh, Singapore, and UK already. Um, I would love to see those children really feel empowered. I feel like with the pandemic, the deaf and hard of hearing community has been highlighted. So we're kind of thrown into the spotlight. But how about seeing more of those children grow up into leadership positions, um, being included in um, the strong, you know, role models and, and power of leadership positions in uh, uh, projects and groups that we have now, that mm-hmm. would be really, really cool to see. I'd love to create some more books, maybe um, 
potentially like exercises or mindset journals for younger ones so that they can process through Mm -hmm. things or maybe they could process with their families more information for teenagers as they're going through and trying to figure out who and what they who they are what they want to do what they want to create with their life I'd love to create a nonprofit, a school community center I don't know I don't know (laughs) the limit Um, everything everything Mm -hmm. um but all the while involving my children into that. We have a, a school at, in my hospital where they have, I believe it's one child on the spectrum to five or six typical peers. And the benefit goes both ways. Mm-hmm. Those children, normally developing children, get to see a little bit into the world of somebody with an invisible disability or a disability if they have one physical. Um, and that child on the spectrum gets to, you know, teach, teach them, receive what they should feel, get, and grow up expecting that from their peers. And I would, I would hope that for my children. Sure, sure. And I think those programs are so needed to have that experience and to, and how wonderful it is having it at the hospital where you have access to those support services whenever a child needs something. Yeah, um, I noticed you were you were on the same agenda as me for the options annual meeting, and that's right. That's where it starts. That's mm-hmm. where it starts teaching those directors, those teachers, to be able to be that for the children, the future, the future. I mean, it's incredible. Right. Right. If I got to go one to one of those option schools as a child, I don't know. I don't know what I, it could be more. It could be less because who knows right. if you know the challenges that I faced are what motivated me even more to become where uh, what I am now. And I related to that. I, I wanted to ask you something. And then uh, I, I want to respect your time as well. So uh, I don't want to hold you too long. But um, right now we have uh, within uh, medicine, within the field, so to speak, um, the idea of neurodiversity. And certainly individuals who are on the spectrum want to be called autism or artistic. Uh, and and they have embraced that term. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also see uh, sometimes that same argument is being used in the area of hearing loss Mm -hmm. that, you know, I am neurodiverse and and because I have a hearing loss, I don't need any of this intervention, this hearing technology, you know, it kind of goes back to sort of the deaf culture versus, you know, oral. So have you encountered that argument from a neurodiversity perspective? Uh, I can't say that I have. Um, I can see where the roots are. I can see mm -hmm. where that comes from. But then who's to say? Everybody has something. Mm -hmm. Everybody has something. What club do you want to be a part of? (laughs) (laughs) That's good. I like that. I like that. So it's it's all interesting because... it's it's interesting how these um, viewpoints get shared and kind of bleed over into other areas too. So, yeah. at the end of the day, I think you and I agree that parents need choices, and and if they choose a listening and spoken language approach, then 
they should have the ability to do that and have the services available to them to do that. Absolutely. And go with it all in. Carol mm-hmm. talks about, you know, the listening brain. She is very much a fan of listening and spoken language. However, she also says, if you would like to use ASL as a family, go all in, you know, mm-hmm. very not true. opposed to either or. And um, that's how I am, you know, uh, with with life decisions, with with politics, with 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 everything. This is your choice. And I support you in doing in in going your way. I just encourage you to really do the research around it um, mm-hmm. before you make a quick decision. Um, or let us know that you trust in your gut. This is what you know. You're the mom. You know your child best. Right. At the end of the day, that's it. The family knows their child best and they have to decide what's best for them. And how can, how can I utilize the resources that are available? That's right. Excuse me. So uh, Michelle, thank you for joining me on the podcast. It's been great speaking with you today and hearing more about all the things that you're doing from the parent course to uh, mama who hears uh, and, uh, and all the work that you're doing out there in San Diego. Uh, so best of luck to you and come back in another six months to a year and update us on, on how things are going. Thank you so much for having me here today. Thank you, Michelle, for such an inspiring conversation. And if you're looking for more resources in terms of childhood hearing loss and, and what to do, and if you're a parent on that journey and want more information, go to mama whohears.com. That's M-A-M-A-H-U-H-E-A-R-S dot com. And look at the information that Michelle has put together. I think you will be very, very impressed with what she's put together. Thanks again, Michelle, for everything that you're doing on behalf of professionals and parents. Uh, It is very, very inspiring. And thank you guys for joining us on the podcast. If you don't mind, please rate, review, subscribe, follow, or share this podcast with as many people as you think uh, should receive it. And uh, we're always trying to increase the number of listeners and the number of subscribers. So we could definitely use your help in bringing more attention to this podcast and and just sharing it and uh, providing that to your colleagues or family members or whoever you want to share it with. We'll be back in two weeks. Until then, be safe and be kind. This has been a production of the 3C Digital Media Network.